0: Thank you. How's it going, everyone? Uh, John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today we are welcoming my good friend, uh, the one and only Tim Capello, uh, who you will recognize, obviously, from the iconic scene, uh, in the movie Lost Boys. But Tim is also uh, an advocate for mental health. And he's also an incredible multi-instrumentalist, uh, saxophone, keyboards, tour of the world with everyone from Billy Crystal to Peter Gabriel to Tina Turner. Uh, and just an incredible person uh, that I had the the opportunity to meet in 2018, right before the pandemic. Uh, But uh, Tim, it is an amazing time to finally see you out here.
1: Uh, Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. You and I have had our communications over the months and stuff like that. So I couldn't be more happy to be here with you, man.
0: No, it's awesome. I think it's, it's, I want to share the story um, how, obviously, I've been a big fan of your work growing up, Lost Boys, all that stuff. And we'll talk about that. Uh, but reaching out, 2018, I was out in, uh, where the actual Woodstock uh, uh, was set up with the band Down. And, um, I knew you're in the kind of like the New Jersey, New York area. So I kind of blindly reached out and say, Hey man, I'm in town. would love to have you out here. And I know Barry the drummer of Shinedown. We always talk about lost boys and the crow. Like for us, those are the one, two movie soundtracks for whatever reasons. We just resonate with every character in both those movies. And uh, uh-huh. you, and you, uh, you said, yes, you came out. Um, and it was super amazing to meet you and talk to you. But the funny thing is the guitar player, Zach, uh, after he saw me post a picture of you backstage with me, um, he goes, Hey, is that the guy from Lost Boys? I go, yeah. He goes, man, I saw him in the crowd. I made eye contact with him. And for a split second, I was, it was he goes, I was like, I was watching Lost Boys. Cause I go, that is the guy. And so I found that really awesome from a musician to another musician to really uh kind of appreciate that. So yeah, it was just well, awesome.
1: That's, that's funny. I, I, I'm always so, um, happy and thankful when somebody like you knows my name because I'm always the greasy saxophone player from the lost boy
0: <laughs> and so I know obviously I've been on the road recently with Shine down I know you're back out on the road touring uh the conventions touring under the new uh your new album blood on the reed uh thank you and so What's kind of been the biggest, obviously, with vaccines or COVID cards or negative tests, all this stuff out there right now, you are still able to safely do what you love. And I think that's really cool that you are jumping back into the fire, per se, and being one of those artists out there that's bringing your music and talents to people that desperately need music.
1: Maybe I am being too optimistic, but from what I've the the information that seems to me from the CDC and what seems to me to be credible information from doctors and stuff are that if you're vaccinated, which I am of course, you really, it's a very small chance that you're gonna go to the hospital. You could get a little bit of a symptom. There is the possibility Excuse me for saying this, but there is the possibility that you could have it and have no symptoms. And if somebody hasn't been vaccinated, you could give that to them. I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial in the sense that if somebody is so stupid and so recalcitrant and so sort of silly about this and not going by the facts and the science and they just for some reason don't want to get vaccinated then if they get sick i kind of think that's on them yeah no and i think everyone's choice
0: especially when it comes to touring as you know for the decades you've done it um be smart, be safe, uh, and don't ever put someone in your crew or a fan or someone in a bad situation. If you're feeling sick or whatever, you do have to trust signs and be like, hey, maybe I am sick. Maybe I need to do or take the next steps to make sure I am okay. Uh, but I do know it's a touchy subject, especially the last two years. It's Everyone has to pick a side. or uh, we, we eventually have to get to a point where, yeah, we can all disagree on different things, but let's move forward together and kind of work through these problems as opposed to slinging mud at each other or screaming at the TV. And I think one of the, re- one of the things that can help us get there is artists like yourself who are out there with the fans, with the conventions. Uh, you probably don't know this, but I'm sure there's uh, – maybe you do. I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds of people that come to your shows and thousands of people want to come, wanted to come to your shows that needed to hear I Still Believe on you on saxophone. Uh, the last two years, and maybe it saved their lives. And so for you to kind of be out there in the pandemic, getting back to what you do, it's, it's really cool, Tim.
1: It is a very inspirational song. And I, you know, first, of course, need to give my um, thanks and props to Michael Bean from a group, The Call, who wrote that song and, they had the first recording of it. And so I kind of think of the song as so many people have come up to me and say, that song really helped me. I was going through a bad time. Um, It helped me with my workouts. It helped me with my relationships. And to have been so lucky, to have... Recorded and been the person who let that message get out there um, is really an honor for me because I I sort of consider it half a song and half a prayer. Yeah, I know that The Call uh, was a Christian band. So I believe that that's the information I got. That that's why they didn't. I was actually the second choice. They were going to do it. They didn't want to be, I guess, in a vampire movie.
0: <laughs> Which, if you're a Christian band, I totally get it. Uh, yes. So how does? Uh, let's just jump into this because The Lost Boys is so iconic. Um, with someone like with Joel Schumacher's putting this movie together, the director uh, building the cast and obviously the characters are all stand on their own for different merits, whether it's the Frog Brothers or whoever it is, Michael and all them. Sure. The part of your, you playing yourself in this movie, for whatever reason, every time I watch this movie as a kid, it really, I, I was always like, man, who is this oiled-up saxophone player who is gyrating his hips, who is super muscular, super intimidating, but here he is in the middle of the boardwalk vampires are amok and for whatever reason that scene just ties the movie together because like you said the message of the story of i kind of see like this good versus evil and believe that you're going to achieve what you want to do and whether it's slaying the vampires or living your best life whatever it is yeah at what point did you realize that this this part for you in your life was going to stand the, the test of time so far and be
1: so iconic um, I don't know how many years ago was it, but my life really changed when Saturday Night Live did the parody of it
0: John, John yeah. Ham
1: playing yeah. me, and it was a sort of a send-up of um of my part in the movie, and everybody got it. I mean, it was a, it was it definitely took it and brought it to a different part of life it wasn't like they just sort of had another person play me but they had somebody dressed as me moving like me and put it into a funny storyline once that happened then it really meant nothing to me up to that point I got no reaction nobody knew who I was I. I, nobody knew my name, there was never any people calling and saying, oh, we'd like you to come play our club, we'd like you to do our convention. But as soon as that happened, then it started people getting me in their mind, oh yeah, who was that crazy guy? Like it was the timing was right. And then people just started, people just started calling and saying, you want to do my club do you want to do my convention do you want to um play a gig together do you want to play on my album you know what i mean it sort of gave me a i'm i'm sort of the grandfather of rock and roll saxophone at this point you know it's the, uh the instrument sort of took a real nosedive yeah because i
0: growing up and even now like besides you in pop culture uh, Kenny G, I would think, plays maybe some of that. Um, but like there's not – it's not a very predominant instrument. You made it look so badass. Like I don't know if the saxophone would have been so cool if it was a skinny guy in like a shirt and tie up there. Whatever how, – however you – when you played it, the way you played it, really just made that seem like such a cool, really sexy, uh,
1: mysterious uh, instrument. It was, it was just really cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that because the way I decided to dress for that and the way I just I put that all together. They didn't give me any. They just said wear whatever you want, come however you want. So things like the pink and purple um stretch pants and the I, I really didn't want to come. To this with a tough guy attitude because it's just it's not me right you no know, in my whole life i've never hit anybody i've never been hit it, it fighting or being macho or any of that stuff has just never been a part of my life so and when i started bodybuilding in the late 70s early 80s it was kind of thought of as kind of a weirdo thing to do yes it wasn't like you know now every you go into gyms and pretty much every cop is buffed every every um uh a uh, uh, person in the military is buffed it's just become a sort of a macho thing at that point it was not it it was a it was a thing for weirdos to do Right, And I had kind of a drug problem, and I thought to myself, this could really help because I needed something to be, to just get me out of that, get me out of that passive lifestyle and do something. You know, I was, I'm six foot tall, and I was only 130 pounds. Wow. That's how much the drugs had sort of destroyed my body. And so I said, you know what? I could really use this To And I got involved with a bunch of guys, you know, muscle heads. And they sort of took me under their wing and um, helped me with it. And I was very lucky with that.
0: You, uh, There's a lot of people that have had drug addictions that you've your contemporaries your friends your family your loved ones um, that didn't survive the drug addiction but you were able to use gym and working out to, your your new drug was the, to get healthy and get fit and stuff like that what advice do you have for someone who maybe is trying to put down the bottle or trying to stop taking the drugs or they're living a life that they see they don't know that their better life exists Like, what advice do you have for someone that is struggling to kind of get out of that hole
1: Well, I can only say what worked for me. It's like, you can't replace it with nothing. You can't replace it with the television. You can't replace it with, you know, coffee and cigarettes. You can't replace it with um, being promiscuous. You, You you, you need to, you need to replace it with something like there is really, you know, when people talk about these, and it's such a cliche, but people talk about these endorphin rushes and whatever, but my day is a better day because I still have the same problems that led me to drugs in the first place. I have anxiety issues. I have um, things that make it difficult sometimes to get through the day. But I always know if I go and get a good pump, you know, not even thinking about, oh, will I look good or will I, do I want to get bigger? Do I want to get more ripped or whatever? Just the idea of, of getting that blood pumping and getting those chemicals in your brain, you really do feel so much better. And I'm sure it's not just weightlifting. I'm sure if you were playing tennis, I'm sure if you were bo- boxing, I'm sure if you were anything that's gonna give you, but I, I do find that for me, the, the working out, all of a sudden I come into the gym, maybe a little anxious, you know what I mean? I have that tendency, but when I leave that gym, I feel like a million bucks.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. So, And I hope
1: that works for some people, some other people. No,
0: and I, think, and I think it does. It's just good to hear that from other people from different walks of life, whether they are successful or musicians or actors, or whoever they are, that everyone, no one's perfect. It's kind of cool to see everyone at different levels still deal with the same issues that uh, most people have to deal with?
1: Well, you know, also, I think it's almost, I mean, as you know, it's almost uh, the rite of passage for an artist. I think that we, I think that we tend to suffer a little more from that for some weird reason right. than The average person. Because we're always trying to get better at what we do when we don't come up to our own expectations. That's, you know, things that I could have done different play in my head. Um, I always. um, There's always something that's wondering, could I have done that better? You know, and if I know I could have done it better, I'll, I'll, I'll bang myself over the head a little bit for that. Right. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing uh, with this band Gunship. Yes. Synthwave band it was a great band and they're, you know, they're younger guys, they're young guys and we were sort of talking about it and writing about it there in England. So we were writing about it and talking about it. And I was like, you know, I've got, I've got um, some issues at the moment. And I was going to go over to England and, and, and I was like, I'm, I'm, and, and they all understood. They were like, we all have it too. <laughs> <laughs> Which I yeah. guess is one of the reasons why they, I think, prefer not to tour.
0: Right. and That, that single
1: you're on, is that Dark All Day with Gunship? Dark All Day, Gunship, and they have a new album coming out. And I'm playing on a bunch of the songs on the album. So I kind of almost feel like an, an auxiliary member of the band. I'm very, very excited. It's, it's, it's a wonderful record. So yeah, I'm, I love I'm I'm so happy that they asked me to come back.
0: Now, one of the, the questions I've always had is before you became that uh, saxophone player, shirtless guy, Lost Boys, obviously you toured with Peter Gabriel, Carly Simon, Tina Turner, Ringo Starr, all Hall of Fame caliber all or the Hall of Fame musicians and world-class icons. At what point before you kind of did, even did all that, growing up with your dad being a conductor and music and stuff like that, how did you know that you wanted to kind of do a different uh, not maybe not orchestral or whatever, but how were you able to take what your, your father's taught you and watching him work to kind of be, become the player and your person you are today?
1: Well, I, I have to, I have to say that there are two people who helped me out more than anything. You know, you need, you need to work hard. You need to work as as hard as you can. You need to go to whatever your talents will let you go to, but you also need luck. I mean, I just figure that you really do because there are two brothers who are drummers and they're very, they're famous drummers. They're amazing drummers. They're they're Rick and Jerry Marada. Oh, wow. And Jerry Marada played with Peter Gabriel. He got me the gig with that. His brother Rick got me the gig with Tina. Whenever they could take me on something, they would at least suggest me. And I might not even have been in Tina's band if it wasn't for Ricky because he was such a respected player like he he played on tons of Aretha records Steely Dan records he he really is a magnificent musician and was a very sweet guy we just grew up together so he he by his being who he was he said look this guy's good he plays saxophone and keyboards you could save yourself some money you don't need a keyboard player and a saxophone player, and of course that always gets to the management if they could save a little bit of dough. <laughs> of course. So he just said, you know, and then so I got to go in and be the only person that auditioned for the job. So it it Tina said, oh yeah, you sound fine. That, let us let's, let's just go with this, and that was 15 years. And it's so crazy. if it hadn't been for both of them getting me a lot of jobs, I never would have gotten what. Now, that doesn't mean... I, I know that there are people that are so... such magnificent players, right. of which I am not one, but there are people who are so... they're so impressive by things that, you know, uh, saxophone players like Michael Brecker or... Tom Scott, or you know, um, you know, guitar players like Steve Vai, or these people that are that just have these incredible amount of chops, and they pretty much get themselves going. They also have a lot of drive, which I actually don't have. I, I don't go looking for jobs. I pretty much wait for the phone to ring and. Now I've sort of am trying to change because I book my own tours. I love that, I, and I kind of want to talk. Well, I'm trying to learn a little bit that you really do need some a little bit of business chops. How are you going to get a gig if if you don't try? No, hundred percent.
0: The you mentioned Saturday Night Live, obviously with the spoof with John Hamm of uh, Lost Boys. But Netflix recently put out Ward Stories, uh, the episode talking about Tina Turner. And I know Tina's been in the news with her new doc, uh, document uh, movie out um, on HBO. Uh, but the Ward Stories on Netflix, she talks about the codpiece uh, that you wore or had and stuff, how she gave it to you. And I thought it was very... It was super interesting because I love that there's stories behind every reason or rabbit reason why someone wears something on stage. It was really cool to see her just or them talk about that specific article of clothing. And it, it, again, you talk about uh, your, your sexual play and stuff like that, but your image itself is like people you look the part. And it's really cool that a show like Netflix is out there on the show uh, talking about something that you wore for 15 years with Tina Turner.
1: Right, and still do. Right. Um, And, you know, there were some things. Tina could be kind of an up and down person. If, if, If you weren't giving her what she needed, she was definitely not shy about telling you that you really needed to work on something. Right. But there would be these times. So I always thought of her as a very tough boss but there would be these times when she would just surprise me. Oh, I was shopping in Berlin and I saw this thing and I said, that's what I want from Timmy. That Timmy would look be great with that. And but of course, what else she's thinking is that would be a good addition to my stage. Right. She sees the whole picture. Right. And she's got a guy back there Humping his hips with a, with a codpiece, you know, with studs on it. That's always something that she, she wanted a little bit of that. You know what I mean? She has such a, she's a very interesting person musically because of course, you know, soul and R&B, that's what people think of her as, but she's much, much more of thinks of herself as much more of a rock and roll singer. So I think if she wants to say the people that she really admires a lot, I think it's the people who carry on the tradition of the blues. In other words, I always remember people saying to like say a guitar player that would be trying out for her band whatever you do don't play any of those James Brown chords (laughs) so you know what I mean Those whatever you do don't do that because she'll kick you right out of the room right away she is a rock and roller coming from what she knows is the Blues. And so she feels like the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know all these Rod Stewart, all these people that, you know happen to be white, but because of their love of that music, they've stayed they've stayed true to that. and that really gets to her. So she doesn't care about color. She just cares about her ears. And right. it just so happens that the people who love that music the same way she was are the mostly the English rockers, white rockers.
0: When you, and you mentioned, you say you're not a good saxophone player. I mean, that's just you. Uh, and I, you've mentioned other great names and stuff. And obviously you're all super talented. Um, But one of the cool things when you play with a Tina Turner or a Ringo star, Peter Gabriel, you are in a band with other world-class musicians and what they do. And so is there any times where that is intimidating or is this a really good thing where you're in rehearsals or playing the, hey, I can't mess up because I got Tony Levin over here or I I can't mess up because I got this drummer here or this other guy here. So how, what's the mental psyche when you're on stage every night with these other world-class musicians?
1: I think that everybody I played with was four. Everybody I played four was super nice. If there was something that they thought could have been better, they would take me to the side and say, you, "There's something not quite right." You know, on the lamb lies down on Broadway. You you got to make that. You got to make that transition down to the lower. You know, it's, it's a tough thing to play on the piano and, and piano is my second instrument. So they would say, I think there's like a diminished chord that runs down here. See if you can give that a shot. Or they would say, you know, just take me aside. But. Tina would tell me when I did something right, but she would really tell me when I did something wrong. And so, you know, or that wasn't what she wanted. And yeah. so she was the most intimidating person, but it taught me a lot because she, she just never minced words. And why should she? I mean, is, is anybody else's boss gonna <laughs> mince words? Right. When they want their employee to do something, you know, all of a sudden, I realized it was a whole different situation. You know when you're when you're in with guys like Tony and Jerry Murata and Sid McGinnis and Larry Fast, all those guys, they had their thing, but they were all very, very um, gentle and helpful and encouraging peter as well like a real real gentleman and that was not her and i don't mean that in a bad way because i learned so much from her i learned so much more from her telling me this is not good i want this I want this to sound like this and you better do it quick. So all of a sudden I realized it's really true, right? Everybody has a boss, right? I mean, I guess I don't have a boss anymore, but, but everybody has a boss and and some, some are gentle and some are like, dude, I'm not getting what I want. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to put up with it. You know, she would say, look, I'm private dancer. I have like a five minute solo. And she'd go, yeah, but don't you realize at three minutes and 36 seconds, don't you see that I'm dancing and I'm going down and you're going up. You've got to watch me. You've got to, you've got to, you know what I mean? So she would say things like that, You, you know, I need it wasn't even like I want you to I need you to do this you, you have to do this you have to look more at me but of course this is my chance to shine so all I want to do is think about playing a good solo but I've also got to look out of the side of my eye to see where she's going I love that and eventually we work something out know what i mean she was the kind of person that then she'd say that but then little by little she would work in with me too we develop our little things because she was not the type of person and i'm not really either that would do a totally different thing every night like bob dylan you know he'd have you have to know his entire (laughs) right his entire lexicon of songs and If he's just going to call one. So if he, you know, if he's going to call masters of war and you haven't played it in five months, that's what he's going to do. Right. What she really is somebody that once she gets it and she feels good about it, that's she said, okay, that's done. That's done. Let's not think about that anymore. Let's move on to something else. Love that.
0: And so you, I know you say you're a your boss now. And obviously, you're still going to the gym. But when it comes to the actual craft of the, the instrument, saxophone, keyboards, piano, wherever it is, your voice, how often do you practice each day um, as a normal? Like, what's your daily routine when it comes to uh, what you do? I know you just moved. Uh, you've been in the process of moving. But on a normal uh, day, what is your kind of schedule like if you're getting ready for a tour?
1: It's, it's not as much as it used to be. Um, But I can keep myself together with about an hour a day on the horn and then about a half hour of vocalizing a day. And to me, that at least keeps, it keeps my chops together. I sort of also have developed a style that, like a, a certain lexicon of my own. And I'm not really looking to change that up. I have a sound. One thing I do like is when people say, oh, I heard you on that thing. I didn't know it was you. But when I heard when I heard a few notes, I knew it was you. And so I like that. Yes. And so, like I said, about an hour and then a half hour on the voice, because I'm kind of a bluesy kind of shouter, so I don't want to overdo it. Um, You know, I'm not one of those people that sings totally correctly, and I just do my own thing, sing my exercises, and just try to warm it up and loosen it up a little bit. Now, a lot of
0: people probably don't know this, but you sang vocals with Tina on uh, Proudberry, right? For the What's Love Got To Do With It album? Yes. Oh, so, and that, that's super, I mean, obviously the, the turbulent history between Ike and Tina, uh, but for you to step into that role, uh,
1: that's gotta be pretty cool. Well, I'll tell you what happened. This was, this was really funny. There were two songs on that record that I sang Ike's part. Um one of course was Proud Mary. Uh the other one ah the other one, I can't remember the name of it at the moment because we just sort of rushed through it. Right. But Tina went, Yeah, that's good. That's fine. We don't need to work on this. We don't need to get any. And I was like, really? <laughs> You're you're, you're going to have a white guy do Ike's parts? She said, well, it sounds good to me, so I don't really care. And, awesome. and so I said, well, how are you going to work that? <laughs> and what they did was they put, um, they put Lawrence Fishburne's name as the vocalist. Okay. But it's actually me. So that's how they that's how they work that out. Um, Lawrence Fishburne did in the movie itself, but not on the record. I did, I did. Gotcha. The, the record. And it was interesting because my wife and I were taking Zumba classes. <laughs> and and they were playing that, the Proud Mary. And I said to myself, This isn't mine. This is, I said, I was saying to myself, man, I tried my best to really get that, really get that body resonance in there. And he just had it. He was so good. And then I realized from different little things that were different than the original that it was my version. Wow. And I went, God damn! <laughs> I, she was right. I nailed it. That That's was really That and I, I you know, and th- the point, the point was, we all did that. Record was done live. Everybody was in the same room, and so there was nobody else to sing the Ike part. Everybody was busy with their guitar. Or playing drums or bass or whatever they were doing, I'm standing, I'm sitting around doing nothing, writing out the horn charts for later. And so she just said, Well, Timmy, you just do it. And then she liked the way it sounded, and that was that. And and you know, it was, it was one of the most, it's still one of the most things that the, the thing that makes me smile the most once on one of the one of the uh, songs on that soundtrack she got everybody around the microphone and and she would sing one at a time with everybody to find out where that blend was wow and one of the most i I just you know it just makes me feel it's like i want to cheer up is that she and i sang it she went that's it that's the one. Oh, and then of course, like I said, she, she was not, she was not um, uh, timid. She would say, okay, everybody out. Come on to me, let's do this. And don't take too long either. Yeah. <laughs> so but the fact that she and I had a blend, and there were songs that I actually would sing little parts of my own and you know and 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 stuff like that was the fact that she liked my singing like her like the greatest singer in the world in rock music liked my because we both had that kind of gravelly kind of bluesy voice and the the blend really was good if we were singing soft or if we were singing loud it was, it was really a, a great blend in that. I don't know, I just think about whenever I'm not feeling too good about myself, I think to myself, oh, my shining hour. <laughs> no, that's,
0: and I think you've had a bunch of those hours. And so for what is the, the biggest difference or maybe similarity between you on stage versus the minute you are off stage? Is there a switch you hit when you become somewhat different Uh, for that two hours you're on stage or do you kind of stay the same type of person throughout uh, the whole day? Well, oh no.
1: No, they're they're different. Now that I'm pretty much only doing my own gigs, um, I feel so much more connected to it. So that I definitely get... I definitely like, as I said before, I sort of have anxiety issues. So right. in the in the in sort of like the night before or the morning of a gig, I'll kind of be a little anxious. I'll be, you know, I'll try to go to the gym and work it out. Or... But then as soon as I hit the stage, and even if something just totally screws up. I I feel not the least bit like humiliated by it. I use it as, it's kind of, I think of it as like when a, when a comedian is going for a joke and the joke bombs. Sometimes that's the funniest thing. So the other night at a club, I, I, i it's a one-man show, and I do it with theater software called QLab, and so it controls my, it controls my movies, just one foot pedal controls all my loops and my movies and all the, everything that I need to do, and so I don't want to step on that and start the show so I'll get somebody and say, would you just step on this to start the show? So what happens is then there's a couple of bands they are setting up the opening acts and then they'll hit it by accident and if I don't really make sure, it's a very techie show and if everything is totally perfect, it's a disaster. It just goes totally south, right? So I had the sound man go over and press it, and somebody must have pressed it, and it went down the list. So nothing happened. So he came back and said, dude, I have no idea what I'm doing, and it's not working. And I usually will wear like a big, big baggy clothes with my Lost Boys stuff underneath. Right. So that I can go and set up everything But if I screw it up, I didn't look to see that it was that it wasn't in the right spot on on the right song. I, I just and I was already in my outfit. You just go and you do your best. I'd say something like I remember saying something like. No one ever saw me. You guys never saw me. I was never here. And people were laughing and you turn a bad thing into a... So I'm never anxious. It's interesting. When I'm playing, I'm never anxious. Only the anticipation makes me... gives me a little bit of uh, butterflies.
0: Right. Now, when you perform, uh, people have put out the last couple of years uh, stuff from conventions and the club shows. It looks amazing with your... your, uh... The videos playing behind you the video walls and the tvs and the the fully uh probably all seven senses eight senses whatever it is your show is that uh cool obviously you play i still believe but is this a thing where you kind of do like songs from blood on the reed uh your latest album or is this like how do you kind of put together your set list for these shows
1: well you know i mean i'm 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 not even a one-hit wonder people know the song If you look, it's got tons and tons of hits. Most people that like a certain amount, I have my crowd, my my fans, and they all know it, and it's an important song to them, and most of them don't even know that it's a cover. So that is... I I did a new version of I Still Believe, one that's longer... Where I can, it's made to be done live. Where I can run around, and I, I just love getting up close with people and button heads with people, and just dancing with them, and I, I I love that. And but then I realized, like, I really want to make a record and I want to do a show, so it's like an hour show, and I just said, you know what? I really, there's only two originals on the whole album and everything else is something that over the years, first of all, is a song that I grew up on. Second of all, over the years was something that I felt I could twist around and give my own little version of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, in other words, I'm a big Dylan fan, so I do... Highway 61, but I do it like in a with a dance hall, Jamaican dance hall, sort of heavy mixture of if you were going to mix metal and Jamaican dance hall. So yep. I, I try to give each thing a twist. Um, I do, I put a spell on you, but that obviously was a ballad, and I make it turned it into sort of a, a heavy 80s kind of synthy, heavy, maybe synthwave kind of version of it. And so I tried to do something a little different with everything. But I thought, these are the songs I love. What else can I give to people but what I love? And you know what? They're all so sweet about it. I'm like, would you guys mind if I played an original song And, and they're all with me? And, you know, I think as I get older... Quite frankly, I think I think people are just happy. It makes them smile that somebody that there's their grandfather's age is out there with purple pants, still swiveling his hips, trying to give it everything he's got. It makes, it, it, I, I, I feel like much more accepted than I used to. Right. When, when the Lost Boys actually came out, I used to catch a lot of flack. People used to try to pick fights with me. And, you know, there was like, I got a lot of flack from people who wanted to, um, who wanted to sort of get into it with me or would say, like I'd be walking down the street and somebody would say, what are you doing here? Like, as if I should be, I right. mean, I was just renting a $700 apartment. I wasn't a rich guy. <clears throat> I'm still not a rich guy. But they would say, what are you doing here? Like, in a in a nasty kind of way, like, how come you're not in a limousine going to the hippest sushi place in town? Right. But now that I'm their grandfather's age, I just get these big smiles, like, I can't believe after 35 years, this dude is still greasing up and still giving it everything he's got. And I, you know, when you see, I'm sure you, you see this with Shine Down all the time, when people are smiling and so into it that they have no idea, like those big ugly smiles, I call them, the ones where, they don't know that they're like making a nice, attractive smile. They, right. they just have these big, ugly smiles, and that's when you know you're doing your job right. That's when the boys in the band are just like, "Oh, that right. was a good job."
0: And it's 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 the power of music. It's it heals your soul. But for me, every time every time I still hear, I still believe. I'll chuckle to myself and remember the first time or every time I listen to that with my friends or cousins and still be like, I picture myself with them hearing this song for the first time or the one thousandth time because that song is just it's it's a perfect song for outcasts and people that uh felt disenfranchised. as you get older, like myself, that song still hits with me, hits me the same way. It obviously, as you get older, it hits a little bit differently uh, with memories and stuff. But to for you to be have that in your as part of your legacy, uh, it's super, it is really, really cool, Tim.
1: Well, thank you. I really did love performing that song and I knew I had already bought the cassette without ever knowing that I would be performing the song. And so I knew every word. That vocal was one take sitting in the control room, not even with headphones on, singing into a $100 Sure 57. (laughs) And they just went, okay, that sounds good to me. I guess there's no reason to come back and do it again. It took me more time to figure out where to play sax and where to, you know, probably took me two hours, where it was literally just one take, and, and you know, on the on the vocal because I loved the song so much. Right.
0: Now, before I, I let you go here, um, obviously you have do new album Blood on the Reed. It's been out for a little bit here. Thank you for, uh, for saying that. You're touring, you're going back in the road, conventions, clubs, all that stuff. Where can people kind of find you since you are your own? What if someone wants to book you for a venue or a club? Do they reach out to you? And what social media do you use? Do you have a website? Like, how can people get your music? How can they reach out to you?
1: You know, I really only have have time for one platform. And for me, I know that it's probably because I'm old, but Facebook is still doing it for me. So yep. people come up to me all the time. Oh, you got to be on TikTok. Oh, you've got to be on Instagram. I just don't like to put, if I'm doing a gig, I want to advertise that gig. I want people to know if they're in that town that they can come and see me, but I'm not somebody that puts up his lunch. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Picture of your I steak. Oh, goes- My lunch and, 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 and tries to, you know, every day has to think of some clever little thing on TikTok, TikTok that would, you, you know what I mean? That's going to keep you in, in people's uh, consciousness. Right. And so that's the new thing with me. Everybody I meet, got to be on TikTok. Got to be on TikTok. You got to do it. I, I also am on Cameo. And so if I'm on the road, I literally have to set up like on the side of a highway and do my seven or 10 cameos for the day. And because it's it's a really good thing for me, you know what I mean? It's It's such a great little revenue stream that I find so enjoyable so to just cool. congratulate somebody on a wedding or a baby or a, or a a birthday. It's just, or just somebody says, Hey man, you've been my best friend for 30 years. And you know, just like a, a a love, a love shout out. Those things to me are, it's, it's just, so between those two things, I kind of feel like it's, it's all I
0: time for. No, and since this episode will air uh, this month, it, it is important to say that uh, this month on Cameo, you are doing that cool thing where proceeds are going towards uh, mental health, because uh, yesterday was Mental Health Day. And so it's kind of cool to see you kind of give back in that sense, too, um, with Cameo. And obviously, it's motivation and inspiration for
1: others. Well, I mean, thanks. It's it is something because, you know, as I've said a few times in this interview, you know, I do have anxiety issues. And sometimes they're sometimes they're a little they're a little extreme. They they can be I can be. And so I've had it. You know, I guess I've always had it, but it can be extremely uncomfortable and so for people to whether it's through therapy whether it's through pharmaceuticals whether it's through anything um to be able to it's just something that matters to me not mm. that i wouldn't have done it for saving of you know, dogs and cats or, or right. pets, or, so, so. you know, I, I would have done it for anything. Because frankly, I was like, you know, you don't get this too much. Cameo is a really good company because they literally, it's one thing to ask me to give all my proceeds for a couple of days, but they're giving a hundred percent. So there's a company that's literally saying for these couple of days, we're not gonna make a dime. We're gonna lose money with all the people that are, and uh, you know, so I- I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right with that. It, you know, I, I probably would have done it anyway if they said, well, we're not giving up anything, but we want you to give it up because it does matter to me. But I thought that was extremely generous because I'm just not making any money. But they're losing money, (laughs) right? And I just think I just think they're a great company.
0: Oh, it's awesome! And uh, thank you again uh, for this, Tim. This has been awesome. I loved hearing the story, especially with Tina and the Lost Boys. And everyone should be sure to pick up uh, Blood on the Reed um, and support you and uh, your career as we go forward through these crazy times. And uh, hopefully, I'm on the road, or I'm not on the road, but I can come to one of your shows and really. fully immerse myself in your, uh, your show. I would love that. So
1: I would uh, love that. Thank and you, it's going to happen. I love it.
0: Thank you, Tim, for this. Uh, talk soon. Be safe, and I will talk to you later.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for this. I really had a great time. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Let's get up, John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel.
0: Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff covered down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week.